From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. And believe it or not, Jen, Infrastructure Week is now here and it's a real thing. It was a long-running joke in the Trump administration when promises of infrastructure packages came and went repeatedly, but it is here. We now have a detailed bipartisan plan in the Senate. They're going to be working probably through this weekend into next week to get this done. Pretty big deal in a, a pretty big deal to have anything done in a bipartisan way. Uh, and it happened $550 billion in new spending over the next five years. That's really just a fraction of what President Biden was hoping for, we should say. You might remember last spring, he had almost $2.5 trillion worth of what he called infrastructure in his so-called jobs plan to create all those jobs. That was over eight years, so there's some little differences here. It's a lot less spending than Biden was looking for, though, it was safe to say. But still, um, senators who back this plan are calling it one of the largest infrastructure packages in history. They're equating it to the Eisenhower era of of the interstate highway system. Um, Pretty big deal. Is it going to get off the ground? That remains to be seen. Um, And so the Senate has started its process on this bipartisan infrastructure plan with a procedural vote earlier this week, um, and we expect another procedural vote later today on Friday, July 30th. Uh, And after that, the Senate is really on track to begin the amendment process, and we don't have much clarity right now from Republican senators or Democratic senators about how many amendments they plan to put forward or vote on. But it does sound like, particularly from Republicans, they want sort of more of a robust, I believe is the word that has been used mostly this week, amendment process. And so the total spending level in this bill, as well as some of the sort of headline items for roads, transit, and climate, quote unquote, resiliency, uh, could change throughout this amendment process in the Senate. And then, of course, when this package, if this package goes to the House or when this package goes to the House, uh, we have heard from Speaker Nancy Pelosi that she plans to sort of hold it in the House until uh, Congress is able to act on that sort of second tranche um, of spending that Democrats want to do later this year. Uh, But what we have not heard clearly from Uh, House Democrats is whether or not they might have an amendment process as well. And so that's something to sort of keep looking for as well, is how much this package could could change uh, before it clears Congress. Yeah. But from what we know right now, and it is subject to change, um, the part that seems pretty popular, of course, is the spending side of this. And we know some of the major elements in it we should talk about briefly because we know there's about $110 billion for highways and bridges. Uh, We know there's mass transit got about $39 billion. And we know they they made some effort toward climate change with $50 billion roughly for so-called resiliency. That's making all these infrastructure projects more resilient to changes in the weather from drought, storms, that kind of thing. 
there's some big ticket items here. All of those, though, have bipartisan support, and there doesn't seem, and of course, broadband, there's a lot of other items we can talk about. Um, all of those, I think, have, have pretty much solid support. The question still is how to pay for it, and there's still going to be some pushback on that part. Republicans were quick to know this, this is financed without any tax increases. That was their point of pride, really, in this, because you might remember Biden had proposed paying for most of his plan with these, with these increases on corporate taxes and, and increased tax enforcement. That went out the window, uh, and Republicans say this package is financed without tax increases. But some of the revenue estimates here are going to be called into question. They already have been as to whether all of this is going to be real money or not. Uh, and they're going to have to get into the details of that as, in the days to come and explain exactly, exactly where all the revenue comes from and how it's paid for, because there's still a lot of questions about it. Right. I think the next two big steps for this bipartisan infrastructure bill are, first and foremost, getting bill text. Uh, because right now we have sort of seen, you know, detailed multi-page outlines of this proposal. Uh, but as everything goes with Congress, you really want legislative text to get a full sense of what this bill does. And then I think the second uh, sort of big document to look for in the upcoming hours or days as we record this podcast is the score from the Congressional Budget Office. And I think that is going to be crucially important um, to determine determining final votes on this bill, particularly from Republican senators, because that CBO score will really go into detail on how much that sort of nonpartisan scorekeeper of the Congressional Budget Office believes this bill will spend. Um, and it will also give us a lot, a sort of more thorough look, if you will, at how these pay-fors are going to uh, sort of shake out uh, during the next few years. Um, and that's something on bills like this that can uh, really alter your final vote count. And so I think bill text is going to be important uh, and the Congressional Budget Office score is going to be important, uh, as well as, you know, to a certain degree, what amendments get on this bill. Right. We, we can talk about how this thing is paid for in broad terms, though. It's interesting. I mean, they rely heavily, uh, almost half of it, really. Uh, on tapping into unspent pandemic relief money. So doesn't cost them anything extra. It's sort of a freebie. Um, but we need to see exactly which pots of money they're going to grab. That was heavily in dispute now for long, among the senators for a long time. Um, they're counting on that not being needed uh, so they can pump it now into infrastructure. Um, as well as that's there's over two hundred billion dollars just from that. There's fifty three billion dollars from uh, expanded unemployment benefits that they say aren't needed anymore. And there's some creative accounting. You know, there's this there's this uh, procedure that's still controversial, known as dynamic scoring, where you count uh, where you count the revenue that would come from added economic growth that these investments would trigger. And they're saying $56 billion of new revenue would come just from increased economic growth um, because of these infrastructure projects. There's going to be a lot of questions raised on that. We've already seen some pushback, even from, even from people who've supported the plan. Senator Mike Braun, the Indiana Republican, was out this morning with 
a bunch of tweets um, questioning a lot of these financing vehicles saying that they're either completely phony or don't quite cut the mustard is the phrase he used, um, which shows you, and if that's coming from someone who basically had been supportive of the plan, um, that they're going to be in for a good deal of, of criticism here uh, and will really have to work to explain why they think all of this revenue uh, is realistic and that, in fact, would be paid for. Right. And I think one of the really big things moving forward is going to be uh, sort of what is each senator's balance on this legislative package, right? I don't think we expect the broad majority of Senate Democrats or the broad majority of Senate Republicans to like 100% of this bill and everything about it. Um, but I think, you know, if a senator can get to 60% approval of what's in the package, you know, do they vote for it? Um, or are there certain senators who say, you know, there's just one provision in here I really cannot accept. Uh, and on the dynamic scoring point, that's been really, really interesting because this is something that uh, Democrats, including Senate Budget Chairman Bernie Sanders, have criticized in the past, uh, particularly when uh, recently when Republicans put forward that 2017 tax bill through the reconciliation process, uh, a lot of Republicans sort of talked about dynamic scoring and talked about how, you know, the CBO score wasn't exactly right because, you know, reducing taxes overall, they argued at the time, you know, would spur economic growth. And, you know, that's something that the Democrats sharply criticized Republicans for on uh, that GOP tax bill and on some other sort of Republican-only legislation. And so now it sounds like both parties on this infrastructure package, to a certain degree, um, on average, are sort of coalescing a bit around some dynamic scoring, uh, but other senators, obviously, as you mentioned, are not. And so I think dynamic scoring is sort of this very in the weeds, kind of only people in D.C. care about it uh, for the most part issue. Um, but I do think it's really interesting kind of to track it in the long term and try to figure out how traditional scoring of what a bill costs, uh, you know, in the future would compare with this sort of dynamic scoring push and whether or not we're going to see um, kind of a bigger trend uh, towards dynamic scoring for other bills that aren't necessarily one-off bills, you know, maybe potentially appropriations bills at some point in time. So, um, you know, that's an argument on the dynamic scoring aspect that I don't think is strictly isolated to the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Um, and I'm curious to see how that works itself out in the coming weeks and months. Right. That's shorter raise questions. And another financing one that was interesting to me, Jen, was was they they chucked the idea of relying on increased tax enforcement generally. Remember, they were thinking of pumping a lot of money into the IRS, saying that that would let them do a lot more audits and and collect a lot more money that's owed but never never collected usually. They chucked all that because of Republican opposition, fearing an, an over over aggressive IRS. But they did put in a surprise provision this week that our colleague Laura Weiss wrote about that I thought was interesting because they're they're now relying on higher tax enforcement for cryptocurrency, the taxes owed on digital currencies. And they're saying that's going to raise $28 billion. That's a hefty chunk of change. But will the Congressional Budget Office agree that it actually will raise that much? Is that money they can count on? Those are the kind of questions I think that have still have to be answered here. And we're going to see if they all hold water. 
Exactly. And I am not going to pretend to be any type of expert on cryptocurrency, but from my understanding, one of the aspects of cryptocurrency that people who use it and buy it and sell it is that it's detached from any government central bank. And so it seems like actually kind of tracking these roles uh, might be a challenging process. And so, you know, yes, like you said, our colleague Laura Weiss has been doing great reporting on this. But I think, you know, really getting into the details and particularly the bill text of how that would work, uh, especially because it's independent from the U.S. government. And actually, as far as I'm aware, cryptocurrency is independent from any government. Um, yeah, exactly how you sort of track that and keep and tax that, I think, is going to be um, interesting to see the details on that. So we'll have to watch for that. And then this whole deal, Jen, still relies on this massive gamble that Democrats are undertaking here that we can't lose sight of, which is that Democrats are determined to pass both this bipartisan infrastructure plan and their own massive reconciliation package, this $3.5 trillion spending initiative to fund everything else Biden wants to do this term. And House Democrats are still saying this week that the House won't even take up this bipartisan infrastructure plan until the Senate passes the reconciliation package. That kind of linkage is what ticks off Republicans and makes this, it, it really is going to make this hard, I think, because they have to get deals on both to make either of them happen. I completely agree, David. Threading the needle on this two-step process is going to be really, really challenging for Democratic leaders and the Biden administration. You know, the Senate seems to be slowly but steadily working its way towards passage of this bipartisan infrastructure bill. But once it gets to the House, Speaker Nancy Pelosi has been very clear she is not bringing it up for a floor debate until Congress acts on the reconciliation package later this year, which as far as we know, will be somewhere in the ballpark or some Democrats are aiming for the ballpark of $3.5 trillion. And so this is going to be one of those things with a 50-50 Senate. And, uh, you know, as of this morning, Democrats in the House can only lose three of their members to approve legislation. And so keeping the moderate Democrats on board with this and keeping your progressive Democrats happy with this, as well as everyone uh, in between is going to be really, really challenging. Um, especially because we've heard a lot from left-leaning Democrats in the House and the Senate this week that they are a little bit frustrated with the bipartisan infrastructure bill and that it doesn't hit a lot of the aspects related to climate change or, you know, addressing the marginalization of minority communities that we've really heard a lot of discussion of from the Democratic Party this year. And so I think, you know, a lot of Democrats really want to see how this reconciliation process is going to work um, and whether or not their moderate colleagues are going to be on board with reconciliation. And then I think, you know, there's a potential disaster scenario here where if, you know, Democrats really have to scale back their spending levels on reconciliation or if they can't do it at all. I think that then will bring in, you know, what does Speaker Pelosi do with the bipartisan infrastructure bill in the House? Does she just bring it up for a vote? Um, or is there, you know, with these sort of very experienced congressional leaders of both parties, they usually have some maneuvering uh, and some tricks up their sleeve here. And so I think I'm very curious 
to watch kind of the vote getting and the um, final policy and spending levels in these bills later this year. Yeah. And to understand the tensions underway right now within the Democratic caucus, I mean, you've got progressives saying this bipartisan plan, particularly in the House, saying this bipartisan plan really isn't that great. It's not that much. And we need a lot more. And they're not they're not willing to even say they back it until they until they see the Senate pass reconciliation. And then on the other hand, you've every single Democratic vote is needed in the Senate to pass reconciliation. And just this week, we saw Kirsten Sinema, first term senator from Arizona, come out and say three three and a half trillion dollars is just too much money and she won't be able to support something that costs that much. And yet they need every single vote to make it happen because reconciliation, of course, is done through through a party line vote because Republicans aren't going to play that game. There's the tension and you've got to get both passed uh, to make the, to make either of them happen. And that's just going to be fascinating to watch as this unfolds later this fall. But we'll see. I mean, the Senate's going to try to get this bipartisan deal done uh, next week is what Chuck Schumer is promising. And at the same time, also pass a budget resolution next week, which would be the first step toward this reconciliation package. Uh, we will be here to see how all that unfolds and whether the Senate gets both of those big things done. And that sets up this huge battle this fall um, as Democrats try to negotiate both bills pretty much simultaneously. It is going to be something to see, folks. We will be here to cover it all for you. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>